It's time for Mac Geek Gab, and listener Sylvain brings us our quick tip of the week, saying, maybe you already know, but I just discovered that in Apple Mail on iOS 16, when we long press on an email message, a pop-up window appears, and at the bottom of that list, it's possible to directly block the sender right from there. First time, Sylvain says uh, he saw this option, and also continues by saying this neat little feature will definitely make his life easier. I couldn't agree more. Tips like this, plus your questions answered all today on Mac Geek Gab 968 for Monday, February 13th, 2023. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and indeed, welcome to Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in tips like that. You send in questions, you send in your cool stuff found. We answer your questions, or we at least do our level best to answer your question. We share your tips. We share your cool stuff found. We take it all. We loosely organize it into an agenda serving one prime directive, and that is, say it with us, that we each learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include... Wildgrain.com slash MGG, where you get 30 bucks off your first box, plus free croissants, a brand new sponsor for us. Joinhoney.com slash MGG, a free shopping tool. It'll scour the internet for promo codes and then applies them to the things in your cart. BB Edit, of course, at barebones.com. It's running right now on my computer. It always is. And rocketmoney.com slash MGG, where you can go and cancel all those subscriptions that you forgot you had but are still paying for. We'll talk more in depth about how you can take advantage of each of these shortly here. Of course, you can always find them at MacGeekCub.com slash sponsors. All the deals, not just these deals, but deals that uh, from sponsors that, that, that aren't even sponsors anymore. If the deal's good, we keep it there for you. MacGeekCub.com slash sponsors. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Oh, I muted John Braun because he was making noise during the intro. Say your name, Mr. Braun, if you would, please. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. That's the second time I've done that, maybe in a row or at least mm-hmm. twice in three weeks. Yeah, when I hear noise during the intro, I just pound the mute button. Don't mute button. me, bro. Well, you know, I have to. Mute yourself then. That's how it works. <laughs> it's one or the other. Uh, don't mute me, bro. I like that. That's, uh, it's, that's so far, that's our working title for the, uh, for the episode. Uh, let's see. Well, here we are. It's just the two of us and we can make it if we try. <clears throat> that was George Benson, wasn't it? Uh, pilot Pete is out piloting today and we couldn't adjust our schedules to make it all work. So, uh, so we'll do it. Uh, we'll do it old school. Mr. Uh, Mr. John F. Braun, you and me, you want to uh, you want to kick us off or uh, at least Let's continue us along? Yeah, Tony, um, this is one that I assume everybody knows, but maybe not. You are typing into a form field and it insists upon starting with a capital letter when you don't want that. Hate that. Such as when typing HTTPS. It's not that it wouldn't work, but it's not what you want it to look like. Simple fix. Start with a letter you don't want, then type the letter you do want, then move back and backspace over the unwanted capital. Move forward. Continue typing. 
Um, so obvious once you think of it, but I'll admit to struggling with that the first few times it happened. Huh. Yeah. Now, the other thing I found, Dave. Yes. I'm wondering if this would do it. So if, now I don't know if he's talking about iOS or, or Mac OS, but if this would definitely be iOS, iOS. Yeah, no, he's definitely talking iOS. Yeah. Okay. Um, in that case, though, if you go to uh, settings, general keyboards, there's a whole bunch of little little settings here, and one is called auto capitalization. So maybe you oh. turn that off. But I can't find the equivalent on Mac OS. I don't think see, this see happens the... to me on Mac OS. Yeah. I don't, I don't experience this on Mac OS, which is why I made the the quick assumption that that Tony was just talking about iPhone or iOS. But mm -hmm. um but yeah, auto capitalization. I'll have to think about whether I want to turn that off. Really the trick would be turning it off and seeing if it drives me crazy. So, from this moment forward until I turn it back on, I have disabled auto capitalization because this drives me crazy too, but I might like the capitalization when it doesn't drive me crazy. I, I don't know. So anyway, anyway, yeah, that's a good one. Hey, while we're talking about things on iPhone that drive me crazy, uh, I, along with many people, it seems have had an issue where on iPhone in Safari, one password will not let me authenticate. It doesn't even ask me to authenticate with face ID. It just makes me type my password in over and over and over again. And that gets obviously very tedious at, at best. I filed the support ticket and they told me, yeah, we, we know about this. We fixed it. But some people, even though you're running the latest version, the, the, the change didn't populate the way uh, it, it, it needed to. So go into Safari Tap the little, uh, you have to be on a web page. You can't be on a blank page. Tap the, the, but once you're on a web page down in the address bar in Safari on iPhone, you tap the little, uh, um, the, the little extensions puzzle piece and, and then manage extensions and turn off the one password extension in Safari. That's step one. Step two is delete the one password app from your phone. Step three, reinstall the app. Log in. Step four, re uh, you know, re-enable the extension. I tried this this morning, totally solved the problem. And so I'm, I'm much happier about it. I wish I had done this three weeks ago because it's been driving me bonkers to have to deal with this. So hopefully that, uh, that will help more than just me uh, on Saf uh, Safari for iOS. Yeah. All right, uh, back to the agenda. Porthos John in our Discord chat shared a great thing. Actually started as a stumper, which I'll share to give some context to the solution. He says, I have a whole bunch of HomeKit devices with even more linked through HomeBridge. I have a bunch of automations that trigger when devices are activated, like a light switch that is linked, uh, etc. Some of my hue scenes don't like to activate correctly based on that automa uh, automation, automation, even though when I test it, it works perfectly. And then he says, apparently, hidden at the bo very bottom of a long list is the answer. When you're creating a home automation in the home app, once you get past the trigger and you are in the select scenes and accessories to automate window, okay, you can then scroll all the way to the bottom and tap convert to shortcut at which point 
you can use the full shortcut logic stream to wait or do anything else that it can do and then control home devices from there. Great quick tip. Thank you for finding and sharing that, Porthos John. That's that's a great one. So, yeah, convert your HomeKit automation or use shortcuts, leverage shortcuts inside your HomeKit automation. I like it. Thank you, Porthos John. Join our Discord, macgeekup.com slash Discord. Tons of great tips. Your questions being answered, not just by uh, me and John and Pete, but also by other listeners. So you get the whole, it's the hive mind. It really is the MacGeekab hive mind. And we, we love you all for it. So yeah, macgeekab.com slash Discord. All right, John, I think another Tony brings us the next one. Uh, could be the same one. No, I, I don't think it is. I don't um, think it is. Yeah, there's multiple Tonys, and I think multiple Andrews in this episode too. Mm-hmm. If I'm or multiple Garys, that's what I noticed in the agenda. We'll get to them. <laughs> All right, uh, Tony says, "How did I not know this? You must have covered this. Uh, we did, um, but just in case, while trying to add a new lock screen, I accidentally swiped left before doing a long touch and was shocked, shocked to see my camera appear ready to take a photo." As I take a photo from my lock screen every morning after preparing my wife's pills, so we'll know later if I make any mistakes. Well, that's a good idea, actually. That's really smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Um, this will be much easier. By the way, I instantly delete the photo because it's available for 30 days and I probably won't need it. Also, so, a uh, great quick tip. Wait a minute. Where's Pete and his magical bell? That's a brilliant idea. If you take a picture that you think you might need, but you know you don't want to keep, take it, delete it. If you're on iCloud Photo Library, it it is kept in your deleted items for at least 30 days. Oh, that might be the most life-changing thing I've ever heard on this show. I mean, I've heard some life-changing <laughs> things, but that like that one, that's pretty good. Anyway, sorry. I, I continue, John. My My excitement got the best of me. Yeah, I, I stumbled across this by accident one time. But um, you may ask yourself, how do I know what things I can do from the lock screen? And I got my Google Foo going, and I found an article, Dave, called Access Features from the iPhone Lock Screen. And you can do all sorts of things, as he found out. So one item is open the camera. You can also open the control center, see earlier notifications, view widgets or control media playback. All right, well, let's not bury the lead here. So, because we're going to tell people, we're not just going to tell people to read an article. We're going to tell you what you can do. So open a camera, as John said before, swipe left on the lock screen. Open Open control center, swipe down from the top right corner on an iPhone with face ID or swipe up from the bottom edge of the screen on all other iPhone models. If you want to see earlier notifications, you swipe up from the center okay i don't know that i knew that i I think i've done it if you want to view widgets you swipe right really oh yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah. i guess i knew that yeah okay and control media playback is the the playback controls that are right there on the lock screen for you so yeah that's good stuff man i like it i like it we'll put a link to that in the show notes for you uh, where are we at here? Dominic, I believe, is our next uh, contestant on the <laughs> the Geek is Right. Uh, Dominic says, sometimes you need to send an SMS to somebody, but Apple won't let you because it believes that your contact's mobile number is valid for iMessage. Yeah, I've seen this. If people move from like uh, 
uh, you know, iMessage to or from uh, Apple to Samsung, or sometimes somebody on an Android phone gets a new number. And for whatever reason, Apple thinks that it's in the iMessage system, whatever. I've seen this. To do this, to solve this problem, to send an SMS when Apple wants to send it as an iMessage, go into settings, mobile data, and temporarily turn mobile data off. You can then message your contact's mobile number and it will definitively be sent as an SMS. So I could even send an SMS to you by doing this, John. When done, remember to turn mobile data back on. If you find yourself doing this a lot, shortcuts can help. So Dominic offers some context. Why might you want to do this? Number one, your contacts started using a feature phone because they find their iPhone too distracting. Sure. Your contact went to a festival and uh, took a phone they don't mind losing. Oh, I never thought about that. That's a good idea. Your contact went to a festival, lost their iPhone and using something and is using something cheaper now or your contact switched to Android and did not go through the required dance before they did. What's that dance? Well, Apple and Google have answers for you. Can I can I click on these? Is this possible? I, I feel I'm trying to click in the PDF that uh, that Dominic sent us because I want to share it with all of you and uh, and I'm not able to. OK, there we go. Um, switching texting from iMessages to messages uh, before you remove the SIM from your iPhone you have to go in and go into settings, messages, and set iMessage to off. And uh, and they also recommend restarting any group chats that you have. So if you're in any group chats with friends who have iPhones, to keep getting their messages, start a new group chat once you've turned off iMessage because it will start an MMS group chat instead of an iMessage group chat. Uh, and... If you've already removed the SIM card from your phone, you have to ask Apple to deregister your phone number with iMessage and they can do that for you. Uh, okay. Uh, I like this. I'll put a link to that, uh, that article in the show notes. Great, great tip. Love this stuff, John. I love that we get to do this. It's great. All right. Uh, Last quick, right. Nothing more on that. We just have a quick tip from, uh, from Andrew, right? I believe. Sure. Yeah. Okay. It's somewhere here. I thought it was in the, uh, in the show, but I'm not, I'm not seeing it. Let me, let me see if I can find it. And if not, I can, I can share it nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, there it is. Yeah. Uh, Andrew says, uh, Recently, you were speaking about Siri commands. One that I use a lot is Siri, turn on Apple TV when I walk into the room and everything comes on. And you can also turn off everything with Siri, turn off Apple TV. I, I do this all the time and never thought to uh, to share it as a tip. Uh, I've also found that you can do this with if you have Sonos devices, you can say, hey, Sonos. And change the volume. You can also, and, and he, he points out that, that you can do, uh, you can tell the Apple TV to uh, change the volume and things like that uh, as well. So, and, and I think you can even fast forward with Apple TV, John. Have you tried that with the, with the, uh, with, with using Siri commands? No, huh? No, I haven't. No. All right. Well, I, I think it's, I think it's doable. I think it's doable. Oh, hey, you know, 
that try it free for 30 days phrase, that seems to be about enough time to try and completely forget about a subscription or service. Before you know it, you're paying for a subscription you don't use every single month. With our sponsor, Rocket Money, you can change that with a few quick taps. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending and it helps you lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of us have subscriptions we have simply forgotten about, like that streaming service you bought to just watch one show on or that free trial you never even used. I wound up with a subscription to the Wall Street Journal that we had when we ran the Mac Observer, and then we didn't need that anymore and certainly didn't need the expense. It was nearly impossible. In fact, it was impossible to cancel online through the Wall Street Journal site. They wanted me to call and talk to somebody in the retention department. No, I just used Rocket Money, and then, boom, they canceled it for me. I didn't have to call up the Wall Street Journal. It was freaking amazing. You just find the subscription you don't want, you press cancel, and Rocket Money cancels it for you. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com mgg. That's rocketmoney.com slash MGG. One more time, rocketmoney.com slash MGG. And our thanks to Rocket Money for sponsoring this episode. You know, there's nothing quite like the smell of fresh baked bread coming out of the oven. And what if I told you you could get all of that deliciousness with none of the time and work involved? Well, you can with our sponsor, Wild Grain. Wild Grain's the first ever bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. And unlike typical supermarket bread, Wild Grain uses a slow fermentation process that's easier on your belly, lower in sugar, and rich in nutrients and antioxidants. And every item bakes from frozen in just 25 minutes or less. I've used Wild Grain. We've cooked some of their sourdoughs. We've cooked some of their croissants. These things are amazing. You just take it out of the oven. You take it out of the freezer. You put it in the oven. Then you take it out of the oven. 20, 25 minutes later, the house smells great. The bread tastes great. It's warm. The sourdough is crusty. Oh, you got to try this out. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off your first box. Plus, free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash MGG to start your subscription. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and 30 bucks off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash MGG. That's wildgrain.com slash MGG, or you can use promo code MGG at checkout. And our thanks to Wildgrain for sponsoring this episode. All right. Hey, well, I was uh, talking about our sponsors there. Uh, I want to make sure I get this right. PJ in our Discord chat shared some additional Apple TV Siri tips. You can say to Siri, Go back two minutes and it will go back two minutes. You can say to Siri, what did they say? And it will jump back like 10 to 15 seconds so you can hear what they said. I I think when you say, what did they say? It might also put the closed caption up on the screen. I feel like I haven't done this in a long time, but but something about uh, I seem to remember something happening that way. But maybe not. Maybe I maybe I dreamt it. And if so, somebody from Apple. Hey opportunity you know it uh it knocks all right 
Um, also, I, I said George Benson in the intro when I when I quoted or, or referenced just the two of us. Thankfully, Andrew C. got me right. Uh, got me straight, set me straight. It's Grover Washington Jr., of course. That I knew. What I didn't know, John, Bill Withers sang that tune. Now that he says it, super obvious. I have no idea. How about your Apple TV, John? Let me tell you about my Apple TV. Well, not so much the TV, but the remote. Okay. So um, so here's, here's the remote that it came with. Um, Describe it for everyone that can't see, please. Um, it's the, uh, first generation. Um, it's a black remote. Uh, yes. Yeah. So it's the Apple TV first generation remote. This is the remote that it came with. Okay. So it has, you know, a menu, it has buttons and it has a touch surface. I think this was the first one that had the touch surface. Got it. Here's the bad news. I, um, I got some liquid on it that must've had sugar in it because, Oh, that's that? a bad sound. I'm clicking the buttons, and we it's a bad sound. We it hear works. it, yeah. So, so I bought a new one. And what I got, Dave, was the second generation one, which also has, um, it w- I, I wasn't sure looking at it, but it has both directional arrows and a touch screen on the top. It also has an explicit power button and it has a back button. Remember we were talking about that yes. a while ago? <laughs> yes, I do remember that. So you have the, the the one that you have now has the circular like D-pad at the top that yes. has the, 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 the scrub touch sensor in the middle of the D-pad. It has mm-hmm. the Siri button on the side of it. Yeah? Correct. Okay, cool. Now, let me ask a question. How do you charge it? Um, hey, good question. Um, this one that I bought um, uses lightning. Okay, got it. But then I learned something new, Dave. So this is the second generation remote. There's a third generation one, That's which right. is exactly the same as this one, except it has a USB-C port for charging it. That's so. right. Yeah, we got one of those with the latest gen Apple TV 4K that we got. The you know this, the, I, I think it's Apple TV 4K second generation. It comes with that remote. So I have both of those. And and they are I, I the only way I can tell them apart is by looking at the bottom of them to see what connector it has. And despite having had it for a couple of months, I don't know how I don't know about you, but I don't have to charge my Apple TV remote more than, say, once a month, maybe. And I am constantly forgetting that that thing takes USB-C. Uh, I, I always wind up plugging, trying to plug lightning into it and obviously failing. But, you know, yeah, that's great. Hey. Um, we, here's a blast from the past. Dave. Yeah, go. Yeah. Describe this it. For, this, I, well, I can, but most of most people who are listening, this cannot. is, um, this is a remote that came with the computer. So it has a, a play it, button please. in the center. It's white. And then, and it's white and it has, uh, so it has a circle with directional keys. So you can go up, down, right, left. And then in the center is the play pause. And then there's a menu button. The the distinguishing feature of that one is across the top, it has a black plastic uh, shield, which really is like a red plastic shield. If you look carefully, because it's infrared. And this was when this was for controlling Max that could do that had infrared ports. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And in a time past, the, the mini also had an IR receiver. Okay. Yeah. Right. Earlier right. minis and earlier MacBooks. Um, 
Yes. I don't think any of them have that anymore. So it, it was oh. kind of fun to control your computer remotely. Yeah, they don't have that anymore. They they I, it's been I mean, certainly nothing within Apple Silicon, but but even Intel hasn't had that for at least five years, if not if not more. Yeah. Fun. While we're on the subject of remotes, listener David shares with us that the uh, Function 101 remote, which we have mentioned on this show before, now uh, is available with a Bluetooth edition. So it doesn't have to do infrared anymore. It can do Bluetooth and it's available for $39.95. And if you visit their site, which we will link to at function101.com, when I just visited it now, a save 20% thing came up so you might be able to save you know eight bucks ish off of that and it's i mean it's 40 bucks so 32 dollars, 35 bucks for a apple tv remote what'd you pay for yours john uh it was like 40 something okay oh that's not bad this one has a lot more buttons in a sense but lacks the uh touch connector the touch sensor on it which some people don't like and we talked about that on a previous show you can actually turn that off if you uh if you don't like it, but yeah, thanks for sharing that with us, David. Good stuff. I love it. Share your favorite remotes. It's fun. I, it's interesting. We are, we have been a harmony remote household for a very long time. And I still have, uh, in act in active duty two harmony hubs, one in the living room, one in the playroom with, uh, harmony remotes connected to them. And I really like that because I can control them with, you know, I have them linked with Homebridge and I can control them with, uh, with the A-Lady, uh, which is great. Uh, however, for controlling the TV, we are now almost exclusively using our Apple TV to do everything. The only time I don't use the Apple TV is when I run Plex uh, and know that I'm playing a 4K video with Atmos because the at current, the Apple TV version of Plex will not send its Atmos sound through the Apple TV's weird filters to my television, but my TVs, uh, I have an LG TV and the web OS, the the built-in version of Plex will happily play Atmos sound on my Apple TV. Good news. I have had conversations recently with the, uh, actually some of the higher ups there at Plex and they've confirmed two great things for me. Number one, that they believe they've figured out a way to make it such that Atmos sound can be played on the Apple TV via Plex because you can get it from Netflix and any other apps. So there's it would stand to reason that the Apple TV could could do that, too, with Plex. And number two, I think equally as important is when you have a movie in your Plex library that uh, that has. Uh, Atmos Plex won't show you that it has Atmos. It says like EAC 7.1 or something weird, but it won't say that it has Atmos. They're going to fix that too. So you actually know that your movies have Atmos. So good stuff coming. Good stuff coming. Uh, While we're on the subject of TVs, listener Patrick shares an interesting thing with us. He says, uh, I had some accidental success. And he says, my wife and I can't understand the words or couldn't understand the words coming from the TV when people talked. After a lot of study, I took the HDMI cord from my Apple TV, that one that goes between my Apple TV and the television, 
and moved it from on our TV. The it's a Samsung 4K TV. I moved it from the HDMI two port to the HDMI four port on the TV on that television. The HDMI four port is the one that supports ARC audio return channel. It might even support eARC. Uh, audio return channel was built into TVs just as an aside so that the sound that your TVs make like via say the LG app, you know, the LG WebOS apps or, or the Samsung apps can be output to speakers that are not plugged into your TV. So to your soundbar, to your home pods or whatever. And, uh, he says, uh, I know nothing about this, but that is what the TV said to do now. Problem solved. I can use Dish and peruse the channels or my Apple TV, and the sound comes out of my HomePod 2, which is connected via AirPlay to my Apple TV. We can understand it, and the spatial quality of it gives us the feeling of stereo. Interestingly, he says, even with the Apple TV technically off, using Dish and the Dish remote, changing the volume, one sees the light come on on the Apple TV to receive the message by shining a little light, but I don't have it turned on, only plugged in. No idea how this works, but it ended up being too simple. I, I had never heard of this before, John. And then the very night that I replied to Patrick's email, I turned on my TV and my Apple TV had a big message that said, what's new? HomePod and Apple TV, uh, Apple TV 4K has eARC support now built in. Pair it with up to two HomePod speakers to enjoy home theater audio across all your TV connected devices. So if you have an Apple TV and home pods and you are using them for the sound of your Apple TV stuff, make sure you are using arc or e arc from your television to your Apple TV so that you can use your home pods for the sound of everything that's plugged into your TV, not just your Apple TV. So thank you for sharing that, Patrick. Fascinating stuff. I had no idea. And then boom, there comes the message. Maybe new in a software update. I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. Do you, you have some home pods, right, John? Do you use them with your Apple TV for sound or no? Um, I've tried. Okay. Though, you know, my, my, uh, my speaker system is better than the home pods, but it was, it. it was fun to try. Yeah. 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 It's cool that it's doing, that it'll be in an ERG receiver. Now, if Apple would come out with like, a sound bar or something like that would be, I wonder though, wait a minute. I'm thinking, I'm thinking if you had an mm -hmm. air playable sound bar, can the Apple TV, is it just to home pods? I think it is just to home pods that it will do this. It won't do it to just any old airplay device, right? It has to be home pods. Um. I mean, that's what the, that's what the, the message said on my TV. Now that message could be, a bit marketing and a bit, you know, a bit informative. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm uh, thinking here. Yeah. Interesting. Cause if it's, cause if it's doing it over airplay. Yeah. I don't know. It's not because airplay is Wi-Fi, So you're getting, you know, a full bandwidth connection. It's not like you're limited with Bluetooth bandwidth or something. Huh? Technically possible. But will app did Apple do it or will Apple do it? We don't know. Will Apple come out with a soundbar? We don't know. Who knows? Will they partner with someone that has a soundbar? Maybe. Of course, if you have a soundbar, you would just e-arc to your soundbar and let the soundbar handle it. So maybe I'm overthinking this. I think I, I 
I mean, let's be honest. I'm definitely overthinking this. John, save me. Uh, I'm going to save you, or uh, I think Gary will save us. All right. So uh, Gary has a good question. Uh, I'm seeking a solution to be able to play Blu-ray discs on my 2017 iMac. I know I'll need an external drive, but I'm confused about the requirements for software. Thoughts? And I got some thoughts, but other people have some thoughts, too. Um, so I, I do have an external Blu-ray drive. It's a Pawtech, which is actually a rebranded INIC3609. It's a, this is a USB based thing that connects Correct. to your Mac. Yeah, I've got yes. one. I've got something like that too. My advice to people when when you want to do this is just go on Amazon and buy the you know the the sort of Blu-ray reader slash writer du jour. I think they usually cost somewhere between thirty and sixty dollars, right? Maybe thirty and mm-hmm. eighty. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, the solution. That I would use, or, or here's here's a couple of tools that you may want to use. Okay. Um, Handbrake is is a good one. Um, and here's the secret, though: if you link it to this package called Make MKV, um, you can then rip to. Uh, I think what, last time I did it was to uh, an MP4 file, and then you can play that with uh, you know whatever player you want. Um, VLC um, should do it for you. But so I have a question about this because I've done this. Um, I never successfully was able to get it where handbrake would, would do the, the initial rip of the Blu-ray, even trying to link it to make MKV. I would, I would run make MKV, which is its own app, but it has some libraries that theoretically you're supposed to be able to like link with handbrake. Uh, but I would run make MKV, have it make the full quality MKV container of the Blu-ray. And then I would point the MKV at handbrake if I wanted to shrink it down more. In recent years, I've decided why in the world I have more storage than I know what to do with. Why in the world do I want to lose quality? I just put the MKV file in Plex, in my Plex library, and either let it stream you know, full quality to my TV, which is how you get like, you know, 4k and Atmos and HDR and all that stuff. Or if I'm streaming or, or down, you know, downloading to my iPad, well then I just let my Plex server do the transcoding and I'm also good to go. So, but technically speaking, I'm cur- I don't care about handbrake anymore, but I'm now curious. Have you been able mm-hmm. to make M- have you been able to link MKV with handbrake to, to do a, a one-step Blu-ray to MP4 conversion? I haven't tried it recently. Okay. Yeah, because my guess is it won't work. I think you're going to need mm. to run the two apps. If you can make it work, feedback at MacGeekGab.com. I'd just be curious to hear about it. So. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com? It is feedback at MacGeekGab.com. But still, I would I would question the logic here. I would just make the MKV and stop. Because mm-hmm. now you've got a full quality thing. You don't have to, you know, I found myself like, oh, I'll rip to 720. When would I ever need more than that? And it was like, oh, crap. Now I got to go re-rip to 1080. And I found myself keeping the MKVs around for this eventuality. And finally, it was like, uh, I'm going to throw away all the downsampled ones and just put the MKV in my library and be done with it. It's worked yep. out pretty well. Yeah. Um, and there's also a dandy article here from um, Jason Snell 
called How I Rip DVDs and Blu-rays. And he mentions a lot of the tools that we mentioned. So MKV, make MKV, I'm sorry. Um, he identifies a couple of drives that should do it for you. Mm. Um, Great. What else? Don Melton's scripts. Um, you yeah. may want to use some of those. If you're do. using Handbrake, you definitely mm-hmm. want to use Don's scripts. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yep. Yeah, so that mentions a few things that'll make your life easier. Um, and then... It even links to the article that Dave wrote back ages ago. <laughs> ah, nice. Sweet. That told us how to do this. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Jason's so, article, uh, well, it's seven years old, but the last time he updated it was like three years ago. So, yeah. Good stuff. Cool. Cool. Uh, well, you know what? Honestly. Oh, yeah. Um, I have a very inexpensive, and a lot of my friends have this one too, but uh, Magnavox makes a pretty inexpensive 4K Blu-ray player. Okay. I, p- I picked one up at a, you know our local uh, warehouse store, but yeah, it's yeah. a Magnavox. It does 4K, Ultra HD, all that stuff, and the price is pretty reasonable. I can't remember the last time I actually put a Blu-ray in my TV. Mm-hmm. Well, because anytime I get a Blu-ray, I I want to have access to it no matter what I'm doing. And mm-hmm. and so I put it in my Plex library and then that way I like I can just watch it on my TV, any of my TVs, whether or not they have a Blu-ray player plugged into them. And also I can you know, take it with me on my iPad if I want to watch it on an airplane. Like it just gives me all the flexibility that I want. So. Check with your uh, attorney and or or I don't know what, where you would check to confirm that your local area allows you to do these things that I'm suggesting. <laughs> but yeah, I, I still do physical discs either from oh. Redbox or nice. my library. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, that's a, that, that's not a bad. Uh, your library won't do like I use. Um, we're now getting off on some tangents, mm-hmm. which I no, which I love. Uh, it's, it's one of the things that makes this show great is uh, I use Libby for books with my local library. And the cool part is you get to borrow books from your library and read them on uh, you, you borrow digital copies of the books, So you can read them right in the Libby app or uh, I choose to read them in the Kindle app because I, I have a Kindle paper right now, which I really love. That thing is awesome. Um, so uh, so I use Libby for that. I wonder if your local library offers like streaming movie rentals. Do they? I, I've never looked into this. Do you they know? May. I don't know. I'll ask them next time I'm there. Yeah. Because that would be, you know, um, that would be uh, interesting. Folks, if you know, uh, let us know. Uh, feedback at MackieCup.com. And I'll put a link to Libby in the in the show notes. While we are on the whole home theater realm another tony has a question a different tony i think that's the third tony for this episode i don't know uh he says my cousin has a stereo that's probably from the 90s if not the 80s with some top of the line floor speakers i'd like to equip it with a bluetooth adapter so she can stream apple music etc to it from her phone i'm assuming that a stereo of this vintage would use rca jacks and would have some sort of uh, you know, input available that they could choose and off to go. I'm curious what you would recommend. So what you described, Tony, the Bluetooth to RCA uh, adapter, 
the the one that I would happily and highly recommend is the Audio Engine B1. I have a an older version of this thing. It's it supports it's a it's got a fantastic DAC in it, digital to analog converter. Uh, it supports all the uh, latest Bluetooth standards so that you get the highest quality you possibly can from Bluetooth. And and I will say that even the old version of this, I've got one that's I mean it might be ten years old. It works great. Uh, so if you are looking for what you asked for, that's it. However, and I'm I'm speaking intentionally here because I think there's a device that you want that's not what you asked for because the iPhone, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, also supports AirPlay two, and that goes over Wi-Fi. So an AirPlay receiver would result in better, you know, higher bandwidth, potentially even lossless sound quality from your iPhone to the stereo. I went on a search for such a thing because we've talked about this in the past and it hasn't worked. Like our our searches have failed. There's always been just janky stuff out there. Well, much to my surprise, the cousin Closely related cousin of the Audio Engine B1 is the Audio Engine B5. This is an AirPlay receiver. It, they, they actually call it a, a multi-room streamer. Uh, it supports AirPlay and plugs into your devices. And so you get super high quality wireless sound from your whatever app you're running on your phone you can put uh, multiples in your house and, and because AirPlay 2 lets you do multi-room audio, you could have it you know, streaming everywhere that you wanted. So I think the B5 is probably what you want. And it's the same price as the B1. So I would look at that because I think that's going to do what you want it to do. And it's got RCA jacks on the back and you know, obviously it connects to your, uh, your Wi-Fi network and all that good stuff. It's even got digital audio out if you want to go that way. Um, so yeah, but but it's got the RCA jacks for for the for the older stereos. So and it's got a good DAC in it. So yeah, that's uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, John. That's that's where I would uh, that's where I would go with that. Do you do anything like this in your house, my friend? Nope. All right. There's that sound. That sound means that I get to tell you about a new sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Honey, the easy way to save when shopping on your phone or computer. You know how great it is when you find a deal. Well, with Honey, the deals just appear right there while you're shopping. Recently, I was buying a uh, a new like USB charger online, and I had Honey installed, and boom. It just showed me that I could save 20 bucks on this USB charger. It was freaking amazing. You just watch the prices drop. And it's super easy to use. And one thing that I didn't know, I had used Honey in the past. Honey doesn't just work on desktops. It also works on my iPhone, too. And it'll work on yours. You just activate it on Safari on your phone. And you can save on the go. So, If you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting the show. 
Get PayPal Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash MGG. That's joinhoney.com slash MGG. And our thanks to Honey for coming on board to sponsor the show. Next up is BB Edit from Bare Bones. I love BB Edit. It's open on my computer right now. You want to know why? Because I have it set to open automatically in my start the day scripts and also my podcasting scripts when uh, in Keyboard Maestro, you know, when I when I start my day because I use it so much. So obviously I use BB Edit for coding, right? Because it's great for that. It highlights the code and colors it and, and shades it and lays it out in a way that makes it super easy to just see. And it just does that on the screen. It doesn't change what you've done on, on the disc. That's up to you with the typing, you know. On top of that, BB Edit lets you do all kinds of things with text. One thing that we've all been sort of using BB Edit for over the years, for a while I thought it was the only one, but then obviously it turns out I wasn't. It's just storing random bits of text in files. And recently, well, in the last couple of years, the folks at Barebones added notebooks to BB Edit to really make this super easy. And now... BB Edit supports creating multiple notebooks in any desired locations. It's amazing what they've done because they use this too over there at Barebones, right? I mean, I think it's like this meta thing where they use BB Edit to build BB Edit. In fact, I'd be shocked to find out if it were any different. So they know how this stuff works. They've got a generous eval model, 30 days of full function to try out the app, and then a fresh eval period for anyone with older versions who are running in free mode. There's discounted upgrade pricing for existing BB Edit customers. Go to barebones.com, check it all out, and let them know we sent you. Our thanks to the folks at Barebones for sponsoring this episode. All right. Uh, moving on from our home theater section here, Larry writes with the recent issues that LastPass has had and the move by one password to a less Mac centric internal structure. Do you have any thoughts on password managers? Also, as a point of curiosity, do you have any thoughts on why no one has built, to my knowledge, a user-friendly front end to Apple Keychain? Apple seems to think that passwords can manage themselves inside Keychain, but I beg to differ. So um, I, I, I'm still using 1Password. Mentioned earlier in the episode that, uh, you know, it, it had some issues. I'm looking at Bitwarden, but I don't, but no, I don't think there's anyone who's building a Mac only or even Apple first password manager. I think all the password managers that are out there now are cross platform. And, and that was always one of the things I didn't like about LastPass is even before we knew that they were security Swiss cheese was that, it, well, it always just felt like. It didn't even feel like a Windows app. It felt like a Linux app. It was it was very function oriented with not a whole lot of form. And, and that, that, that might not be a, a, a fair universal uh, description of it, but it certainly is my description and my experience because I I imported all my passwords into LastPass, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years ago or something and tried it. And it was like, ah, I don't like this. And I'm starting to feel the same way about one password. It, it, it like it's just a little it works fine. I, I trust them, but but it's just a little janky, like I mentioned earlier. So um, but as to your question about a user friendly front end to Apple's iCloud keychain, I think the best place to manage that is not the keychain access app. It's in Safari. Go into Safari, go to settings and go to passwords. 
you can do all kinds of things there. And I, like that to me, that's the place to manage. That's your password manager interface is in Safari. And I know that's a little weird and probably why you didn't think of it, Larry. And also why I wanted to share it in the show, but that's where to go and do this. Yeah. I, I would, I would not mind a separate app to do it just because passwords are such a thing, but, um, but, but there's not, but Safari's there and, and you can manage them there. So I've, I've always, I've always liked them, but, you know, John, are you using iCloud keychain these days at all? Um, I think I was forced to. Oh, interesting. To uh, support um, uh, home, right? Really? I remember at some point, my uh, one of my devices said, hey, uh, you know, I need a iCloud keychain. To okay, yes. Stuff. Yes, right. That, for sure. I guess my question is, are you using it for your web login passwords at all? No. Okay. Yeah, because I'm using both. I And I have been basically since iCloud keychain came out. Uh, I have, and maybe that's part of why it like my experience has gotten janky. It used to be really smooth running one password right alongside iCloud keychain nowadays, uh, less so. Um, and maybe that, maybe I need to give one password a fair shake by turning off iCloud keychain or at least turning off the, the automated integrations of it. But I don't know. I like, I like having things in, in the two places. It, it doesn't, it doesn't really bother me most of the time, unless unless actually it is bothering me and I'm it's coming out in a strange way. I don't know. Yeah. So curious to know what you folks are using. Tian Papa in our our Discord chat says using uh, the whole family dumped LastPass and is exclusively using iCloud Keychain. You know, for someone like you, John, who is not like not happy with LastPass because of their security stuff, but also not yet running screaming from them. Um, turning on iCloud keychain and letting that sort of inherit and absorb by osmosis, almost all of your passwords, you give that like six months, man, maybe even three months. And suddenly iCloud keychain will have all the passwords that you use. You might be able to just stop using LastPass. I guess I kind of need to do an experiment because I, that's what I've did with one password. So my passwords are mostly up to date in both places. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe I need to turn off one and go for a week with that and turn off the other and go for a week with that. See how that is. I don't know. seems like an experiment because that like doing that would let you just sort of gradually migrate to iCloud keychain without really having to do anything at all. Other than every time you log in somewhere, that iCloud Keychain doesn't know about, it'll say, hey, do you want to save this password in iCloud Keychain? You say yes, and then boom, it's there. Moving on. Next, 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 next. Oh. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Do I have it on? I don't think. Um, you maybe. would know, because it would be asking you that question. Um, you would do it, I believe, you do it in Safari uh, preferences, or now Safari settings, sorry, Ventura, uh, autofill and turn on usernames mm. and passwords. I actually have it off on this device because I, I use this for the podcast and I didn't want the extra interface, but um, yeah. Yeah. Well, worth a shot. Do you use browsers other than Safari or is Safari your primary? Um, Safari is my primary. Yeah. I also run uh, Chrome on occasion sure. and uh, Firefox. 
Well, some pa- some pages just don't work right with Safari. I hate it yes. when, when I go to a website and they're like, uh, yeah, sorry, we, we don't really understand Safari, so you got to use another browser. It's right, like, right. Come on, man. Right. Learn how to code. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, there is a, uh, if you want to use iCloud Keychain on Chrome, and I am just learning about this uh, right now, but there is an iCloud Passwords Chrome extension that uh, that you can install. It is, I believe, it is Apple's extension, so it's not. Yes, it is published by Apple, uh, kept up to date fairly regularly. Um, it's uh, it says uh, it says that it's for Windows users. Oh no, 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 um, no! You can you can use. Uh, I believe you can use it in Chrome on both Windows and the Mac. Someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you can use it there. So that. Uh, I'm not going to try it right now because we use Chrome. We had a Chrome issue earlier, and Chrome is like the thing that that keeps the audio connection between us alive right now with StreamYard. So I'm not going to mess with that, but I'm pretty sure. I'll put a link in the show notes for uh, us all to experiment with. While we're on the subject of passwords, another Gary has something for us, John. Yes. um, Gary sent us a very nice article which is very timely because this uh, feature was just added um, and I haven't tried it yet. Um, but the, uh, the title of the article is uh, here's why, here's why you may not want to use um, security keys. What's a security key? It's a feature that they recently introduced that will let you use your phone Combined with a hardware token. Nope. I believe security keys uh, is your, uh, um, oh, maybe. Okay. You're, you're not talking about, um, pass keys. You're talking about security keys. So yes, correct. This would be a hardware token. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we sent us an article and I, I got to look into this cause I haven't turned this feature on yet though. I, I think I do have an NFC, token um i'm trying to remember who it was from was it like yubikey or something yes yes okay yeah so apparently you can use one of those but um but the article that um we're going to link to i think this the summary is basically you can use these but only with devices that are they can run a certain version of the os Right. And again, they just introduced it in 16.3, so I haven't had a chance to uh, play with it yet. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Interesting. The idea is that the the security is that, yeah. Um, is 16.3 out? Am I not Am I not up to date yet? I, didn't, I don't see a 16. Oh, there it is. Never mind. Never mind. I guess I need to download and install 16.3, John. I'll do that now. Sorry. Yeah, but most people, uh, I, I forgot where I heard this, but um, good security has three elements. Um, what what you know, what you have, and what you are. So what you know is a pass, is what you know is your password. What you have is some sort of hardware token, and what you are is biometrics. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. I am, um, I, uh, on the subject 
of pass keys, which are different from security keys. Uh, the uh, I just I logged into Cashfly, the folks that provide all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. You hear me say that at, at the end of every episode. Uh, th- they when I logged in most recently on my Mac, it said, "Hey, do you want to uh, want me to drop a pass key here so that you can use your fingerprint or face? You know, when when you log in next." And I was like, "Sure." So I'm curious to see my Mac is a Mac mini and I don't have one of Apple's special keyboards or anything. So the only uh, the only non password way of authenticating with that device that I use is my watch. So in a sense, acting as a security key right for for that computer. So I'm curious to see what happens the next time I log into Cashfly if it lets me like, you know, double tap on my watch to let me in. I hope it does. That'd be fun. Uh, on the subject of geeky things that are fun, we all love Tailscale here because, uh, Tailscale is like magic. Uh, essentially what Tailscale lets you do is you install, you know, I love it when the audio cuts out like that. You mm-hmm. install it, uh, Ventura and core audio it sucks. Uh, you install Tailscale on all of your devices and then your devices are accessible to one another just like they're on a local network, regardless of where they are in the world. They could be on you know, a cell network. They could be on a different Wi-Fi network halfway across the world. It could be whatever. It's just it's magic and it's great. It creates your own, you know, like distributed land, if you will. But it's just you. Uh, we talked on a recent episode, John, uh, about how. The problem with Tailscale's implementation is that if your Mac reboots and it doesn't automatically log you in, as Pete was talking about on, uh, I think just on the last episode, maybe it was 967. Yeah, that's the last episode. Uh, then Tailscale doesn't run because Tailscale runs at login. Well, it doesn't have to. The one from the Mac App Store runs at login, but there is a way to install Tailscale D in the terminal. And that can run at startup before anybody's logged in. I tried this and it worked. Now, uh, I and and so thanks to Dan, lots of you emailed about this. Uh, Scott was another one who provided a lot of details here is um, you have to it, it, it's a multi-step process, John. And and the way it works is you install uh, Go, which is a. Uh, language source code sort of management compiler thing. And so you, I, I installed go with homebrew at first, John, I just did brew install go uh, in the process. I learned that cake brew is dead. Uh, so long live cake brew, but cake brew has gone. Don't use that anymore. Uh, I installed, I did brew install go. And then I went to the webpage for Tailscale and, and, and put in the instructions, which they let you copy and paste. It makes life super easy uh, to use Go to install Tailscale D. And it failed because at least the day that I did it, Homebrew had Go version 1.19 in it. And Tailscale is always, they say this, always compiled with the latest version of Go and requires the latest version of Go, which is 1.20. So I uninstalled it with Homebrew, Brew Uninstall Go, and I went to the golang.org website and downloaded the Mac OS installer for Go 1.20, which was super simple to use. 
And once I got that installed, I was able to go to my terminal and do the commands to get this running. Uh, it was either Scott or Dan mentioned they couldn't do this because they had also installed Tailscale from the Mac App Store. I had no such issue. In fact, I was able to run both of them alongside each other. They identified as different, quote unquote, machine names. I don't recommend doing that, but it worked totally fine. Uh, but I was able to use the command line to install uh, Tailscale. I was able to log in. I did all the things I needed to do. And then, again, using the simple instructions on the website, you set it up as a LaunchD uh, service and tell it to run automatically. And now it does. And so it runs in the background. A couple of uh, interesting things about this, as as listener Dan pointed out, one really nice part of actually maybe it was uh, maybe it was Scott that pointed this out. One really nice part about this is that it doesn't run in your menu bar. And because of that, users can't quit out of it. And because of that, it makes it really handy for if you're using Tailscale to help manage uh you know, family members, trusted friends, computers, because uh, if they quit it, then you can't manage their computer for them. And so I think it was listener Scott who was saying that uh, he uses Tailscale to manage uh, one of his parents' computers. And it's really nice doing it this way because you know that it's always going to be running no matter what, even if they log out, even if they quit all their apps, you know, whatever Tailscale's running. So, yeah, cool stuff. Thank you for, and, and uh, we've, I intentionally didn't go through the minutia of the steps. They're just all linked right there from uh, the show notes of MacGeekUp.com or mgg.fm slash 968. So uh, you can get there either way. Fun stuff. Speaking of launching apps, John, mm-hmm. Ed had a strange one, yeah? Yes, he did. Um, so Ed says, I have PDF Expert designated as my default PDF viewer on my Mac. In Apple Mail on the Mac, if I double-click on a PDF document, it opens in PDF Pen Pro. Very strange. If I right-click on the PDF icon and choose Open In, PDF Expert is checked as the default viewer. And if I click on PDF Expert, the document opens in PDF Expert. I cannot find any support articles that mention this strange behavior. Um, I have rebooted the Mac, and it doesn't go away. <laughs> okay. Um, just... By instinct, I, I I was almost certain that this is a problem with something called launch services. What is launch services? It's the database in your computer that basically maps um, files to applications. And sometimes that database gets messed up. So um, I did find... Uh, mm, probably shouldn't have sent that. I, I found an article over at Eclectic Light... Okay. Kind of explaining the nuts and bolts of why this happens and offers some things to do in the terminal. But then I noticed that the article was old, so I probably shouldn't have sent it. Got it. And he also in the article just says, you know what? Just use Onyx. Uh, And in Onyx, Onyx maintenance, rebuilding launch services database. So Onyx specifically can rebuild this database for you. And uh, reports are that this fixed the problem. So Yeah. Uh, yeah, Onyx is the way to go, and and there's you, you know your your point about the article at uh, Eclectic Light being dated uh, is 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 a good one. A lot of those types of commands do change from uh, Mac OS to Mac OS, 
And and it's for that reason that like when Ventura comes out, you can't run Onyx on Ventura because there isn't an Onyx for Ventura right away. It, it it that's been fixed, so now there is an Onyx for every released version of Mac OS. Uh, but but yeah you, yeah yeah no that's the way to do it. Yeah that's that's a weird. So we, I, you know, these things, they get tied in knots. It's how it works. Hey, uh, speaking of getting tied in knots, TN Papa in our Discord chat just informed us that iCloud Passwords Chrome extension only works in Windows. So, no, you can't run it on the Mac. I don't know why. Why Why would they limit mm. us? There's got to be a way. There's got to be a way. There's got to be a way. Somebody will figure it out. Uh, Gary. Another Gary, I believe. I think I think I think this is the third Gary uh, that that we have had asks. I've got a question about international travel. How does Apple Pay work in Europe? A friend plans to visit Barcelona in the near future. I'm trying to get travel advice for her. She has an iPhone. iPhone is all I know. Uh, Would love to pass along any advice. So, yeah, yeah. um, Apple Pay works in Europe. I've used it in Europe. And. Mexico. I'm trying to think of where else. Obviously, here in the United States, Canada. Uh, it, it just works everywhere. It it's sort of the 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 same uh, everywhere. It's you know it's kind of the way I think about it is that it's an embedded version of tap to pay, which at least in Europe is like the pay to way the pay to way the way to pay with your credit card. Um, while I was just there in Italy, John, uh, I did tap to pay everywhere. There was one restaurant, though, that uh, asked me, like, I, I did the tap to pay and the machine was like, no. And and so the guy's like, oh, we got to we got to do the chip thing. And he's like, uh, OK, yeah, enter your pin. And I was like, oh, wait, uh, I'm an American. I, we don't use our pins. Crap. Well, past Dave took care of present day Dave by putting my credit card pin in one password. So I had launched one password, looked up my credit card. There was the pin. I typed it in and the day was saved. I was able to actually pay our bill and, you know, not have to like wash dishes for the, for the remainder of the evening. But, uh, but yeah, so if you're, if you're heading to, to Europe, do know your pin. Um, but yeah, app, I maybe, and I wonder if I had used Apple pay instead of just tap to pay, I got so used to using tap to pay over there that I would just pull my card out and, and tap it on the thing that I, I didn't even think about it. Cause it's so easy, but yeah, Apple, Apple pay is, uh, is tap to pay. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> yeah I, I, I found a new tap to pay. Yeah. So I, I, but I went to our, um, uh, the uh, the place where you bring your trash, the dump transfer center, we call it the yeah. dump. Yeah. Um, and I saw someone ahead of me, and all of a sudden, and, and then I saw the guy in there accepting payment. So you got to pay six bucks for a car full of trash. Um, okay. I saw him take a card from someone and put it next to this handheld terminal, and then he gave the card back. And when I pulled up, um, that time I pulled up, I had recycling, which is free, but um. I'm like, oh, you take Apple Pay? And he was like, yeah, sure. Oh, amazing. I didn't know that. That's great. So the next time I went there, I, I just handed him my card, which all of my credit cards now um, are contactless. Yeah. And that I don't have to use Apple Pay. I can use the card itself. Yeah, the tap, think- that's tap to pay, the contactless. Yep, that's right. Yes. Yep. yep. Yeah. And it worked great. And I get points back. So 
points for trash. Points right? for trash. I love it. That's awesome. That's great, man. Huh. Cool. Yeah. And it was it was tap to pay. So you didn't have to yep. like put the chip in the machine. They, there was no swiping. It was just, yeah, that tap to pay thing is is great. And you can use that in in it, it, most places here. It's just not common is, is really the thing. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, I find it easier than using Apple Pay for whatever, because it's it's one thing I don't yeah. have to like authenticate with my face and do the whole yada yada. And, and I made sure, I think I had to request a, a reprint of one of my cards because it didn't have the little RF symbol on it. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like a, so, a Wi-Fi bars or whatever, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the that's the symbol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh, cool. Cool. All right. Well, uh, where are we here? We got time for we we can do another question, maybe. How about uh, how about Ari's question? Uh let's see. Ari. Um I've got a puzzler here. Somehow my phone has decided to remember a misspelling of the word network. Oh. Um, it shows up intermittently, but I think mostly when dictating voice to text. It wouldn't be that big of an issue if I didn't run a network installation company, <laughs> requiring I use the word constantly. Uh, you can see in the screenshot when I went back to select the word, Siri offered to sort of correct it, but still unnecessarily capitalized it. Uh, back in the day, you used to be able to edit or add things to your dictionary, but I always keeps this obscured. Any suggestions? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um as far as I can tell, one can no longer remove individual items from the dictionary. No. Oh. No, you okay. can't. I agree. I agree. I'm agreeing yeah. with you. Yes. Okay. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I did find some suggestions on how to deal with this. Okay. Um, and we got an article here, how to remove words from iPhone predictive text. And basically it's two steps. Okay. Uh, reset the predictive text dictionary. <laughs> oh, so this is solving the problem by destroying everything. Um, how do we do that? Um, I've got it up in uh, front of me. I, I'll walk us through. Oh, okay. It. Yeah. So they say settings general, then go to transfer or reset phone, hit reset, and then choose. This is super scary to be doing this live. Uh, and then choose reset keyboard dictionary. It'll it'll come up at the bottom of like a menu where it's you know reset all settings, delete your e sims, all of that. You can uh, reset your network settings here too. But there is reset keyboard dictionary in that list. I had never seen that before. So that would be one way of doing it. Just wipe it clean and uh, start from scratch. Then uh, then every time you're ranting at someone via iMessage, you're going to be talking about that that ducking thing because uh, it won't know to change. <laughs> and then the other suggestion is force predictive text to use the word you want by adding a shortcut in settings, general keyboard text replacement. Right. Yeah. So that's, for, the, that's the best advice I could find. Yep. That's how I've always done it. Like in, in Ari's case, I would go in, I would do the second thing that's settings, general keyboard text replacement and um, uh, uh, just put in like for him, I'd put network into both fields, the shortcut and the expansion. I, it's not called expansion, but that you, you'll, you'll see what I mean when you're there. Um, just you type the exact same thing into both fields that usually fixes it, but it I, I have seen it not always work, John. So, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, 
you know, this has been uh, this has been fun. You know, I, I have there's one more thing. Listener Bill uh, wrote in with a, a, a sort of a rant, but a, a question. It's it's too bad Pete's not here because he's always our our visual model. He said, um, he says your merchandise doesn't even. I, I went to macgeekup.com slash merch. So thank you, Bill. Uh, and says you don't even have the show logo available on any medium. And this is. It's not entirely true, but but I, I know why Bill thought this, because the show logo is not on anything It's that where you would see it in the first picture in the merch store, because our T-shirts have the logo on the back on the front. They say, don't get caught. And then the logo is on the back. But I do like this idea of putting the logo on things. Uh, so we're going to add more stuff to the uh, merch store. Send in your ideas. And if we wind up using your idea, we'll send you a free whatever we make from the store with your idea. How's that sound? Feedback at MacGeekCub.com. We'd love to uh, we'd love to have your ideas. Feedback at MacGeekCub.com. It's true. Feedback at MacGeekCub.com. Thanks for hanging out with us, folks. This has been uh, it's been a fun one. It was it was fun doing this. Just uh, just the two of us. Thanks to Bill mm. Withers and Grover Washington Jr. for the uh, for the reference. How about bobbleheads? People have asked for bobbleheads, John. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. I, I um, let's see how many people ask for bobbleheads. It's 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 a thing. I have had one bobblehead made of me. We were going to do them as like merch for a different company that 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 company like failed spectacularly. It was it was a disaster. Uh, but uh, the bobbleheads were made. I'm sure. The one of me has been smashed in effigy, would be my guess. Um, but, you know, it's fine. Uh, we all have our histories and spectacular failures. You can't have success, and you certainly won't appreciate success if you're not willing to have spectacular failures, folks. And if you want to hear more about that kind of stuff, including the business that spectacularly failed, listen to Business Brain. Uh, at businessbrain.show. That's the show I do with Shannon Jean, who you all know from uh, starting Mac Rescue and Tech Restore over the years. He's been a long, long, t- a friend for a very long time, and uh, and we enjoy talking about business together. So we do that show. Uh, I said it earlier in the episode. I'll say it again. Bandwidth, of course, is provided by Cashfly. Uh, our merch, of course, you can go get at macgeekup.com/slash/merch. Go check it out. Buy what you want. Let us know what you're not seeing and if we got it we'll send that to you too i love it thanks for hanging out with us folks thanks for all of your questions and tips we didn't get to cool stuff found today but there's lots of stuff you've sent in there i'm sure we'll get to it in an upcoming episode sean what do we have to say my friend Three things don't get caught. Made up. It's good advice. Later.